Hey everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're gonna find two things in this feed. In this season, you're gonna find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois. And you're gonna find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're gonna find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. The message today is uh, called, How Should I Be Thankful? Last week, we talked about why should I be thankful. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about how should I be thankful. This comes up a lot at the holiday uh, season and time um, because... I think a lot of us have this general sense, like I do, that um, the people that are around us are not like super grateful or there's, I don't know how it works, like at your house, we spend uh, Thanksgiving with Kristen's grandmother. She's 94 years old. She was raised on the south side of Chicago, Chicago, as she calls it. And uh, it's very important to her to convey how much better life is now than it was uh, for her when she was like growing up, she, when she was born into the depression and World War II and all the rest of it. I don't know if you have family in your life like this, but it's important to them to convey how great things are in a lot of ways now, but a lot of people don't necessarily operate uh, that way. I saw this this week, this was in the Wall Street Journal and I thought it was interesting uh, by way of starting, how should I be thankful? Americans at every level of income say that they would need about a 30 to 50% raise in order to go from the way they feel now to feel happy. So just by way of bringing that out, that's something like this, that like um, if someone made $50,000, they're saying if I had $75,000, I'd be happy. This kind of, and you can imagine this all the way up. And what's fascinating about that is as you go down the chart, and this is like, this was a, a study that was done and it's statistically kind of verified that most people say, if I just had more than I have right now, I'd be happy. If I just had a little, but what's crazy about it is you might be sitting there thinking if I just had, and the thing in your mind might be someone else in the row thinking if I just had a little more than what I have. And on and on and on it goes. What it says to me is that a lot of us, even people of faith, are caught in the trap of thinking that if I just accumulate a little bit more stuff, then I won't feel as sort of uneasy or frustrated or churned up as I feel right now. And what what I just showed you should tell you and what observation should tell you is that is in fact not true. Some of the most miserable people that I've ever been around, maybe you too, uh, some of the most miserable people I've ever been around are people who had the most. Can anybody witness to that? That Some of the most miserable people you ever get around are people who don't have a material concern in the world. So the reason that I should be thankful, this is kind of where we're going to start today, is not because if I just get a little more, I'll be happy. I've learned this, and maybe you've learned this, and I want to try to show it to you in God's Word today. Um, I've learned that generous people are thankful people, and thankful people are happy people. That's what I've learned along the way. And I'm going to show it to you in the Bible in just a second. When I mean generous, I don't just mean financially generous. I mean people that give of their time, people that give of their emotion, people that give of their energy, people that 
stop and say hi to a service worker and ask them how their day is. People who are generous of spirit across the board tend to be people who are thankful, and people who are thankful tend to be people that are happy. I want to teach to you today from Luke chapter 10, uh, a story that's very familiar, and it's uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. And I want to teach it to you in a slightly different way than I've taught it before, and I'm hoping it's going to help us learn how we should be thankful. This is Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible, I hope you'll turn to verse 25. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. So it says this. uh, It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, speaking of Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? When it says there, uh, put him to the test, that's the idea of like to try to trick him. Did you ever watch one of those... uh, press conferences that they have with politicians where the reporter is trying to ask a question in a way that trips the person up and confuses them into giving the wrong answer. That's kind of the vibe. So this lawyer stands up and says to Jesus Christ, he doesn't call him Lord or King, notice he calls him teacher, and he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He's looking for a a set of rules or a pathway to follow. Verse 26, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? This is always like a good trick. Jesus does this a lot. I wish I was better at this. If somebody asks you a question that you're like not totally sure you want to answer, you don't totally like, you just flip it back and a question back at them. Jesus says, all right, well, you tell me. He answered, verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The man there is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. This was like known uh, in the, for all people who had been raised in Israel, people raised of a Jewish background, this was known, it's called the Shema. It's there, they recited this three times a day. This is like what everybody knew as the, maybe what would be common to us would be something like the golden rule. It's this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the guy answer. So he knows the answer. He's now revealed that he's answered a question that he already knew the answer to, do you see? Jesus says, verse 28, you have answered correctly. So do this and, and you will live. You could, Jesus sensing that the guy is trying to trap him or... He says, you already know the answer to the question. Here we get to the meat of why Jesus is doing this, verse 29. But this man, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That idea there, that word justify, is to declare righteous. It's the same concept that this is used to describe what Jesus Christ does on the cross for you and for me. It says that desiring to justify himself, so desiring to make himself seem righteous, the man said to Jesus, this isn't a made-up story, this really happened, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? What he appears to be doing is seeking to squirm. He's asking the question, who is my neighbor, so that he can be allowed to treat some people not as his neighbor. That's the reason I asked the question. 
So if what he says is the, the rule that they're supposed to live by is you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength, and you're supposed to, the last part, love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, so who's my neighbor? The point of that question is to build a list of people that don't qualify so that I don't have to treat them according to the way that Jesus says. He's basically asking this question. Jesus, who can I say is my non-neighbor? He's saying, so who doesn't have to be on the list? Who doesn't, who doesn't have to be on the list? This is a game, you know, uh, that gets played. You know how people play games with rules? Uh, this like happens at our house all the time. It's like um, if, you know, if someone gets like the iPad taken away for the day and then you find them like in a corner somewhere watching the computer, it's like, well, no, you said the iPad. You didn't say the computer. It's like, it's like want to throw every electronic device in the world in a bathtub, you know? Like, but we all know this. People do this in our country like crazy. There's like a whole industry in our country that is built around allowing people to play games with what do I owe on my taxes or not? There's like a whole weird little system that we have, right, where it's like we have a speed limit, but we all sort of accept that you're allowed to go over the speed limit depending on the time and the situation and like what town you're in and what, what the circumstances are. There's all of this. There's sort of like the, the, the rule, and then there's all this extra stuff layered around the rule. His question is, Jesus, who can I say is not my neighbor? Like, it would be easier if I didn't have to treat that person with the same level of joy and enthusiasm and love that I treat myself. It would be easier if I didn't have to treat that person or that person or that person. So Jesus replied, verse 30. He tells a story. So the first part factually happened. Now Jesus is going to tell a story, and it happened that Jesus told this story. It's a parable. It's to make a point. He says there was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he, he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. This story that Jesus is telling was built on a common situation. Uh, there was a 17-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem, it was a rocky road. It was lined with caves that made for a good hideout for robbers and bandits. It was a notoriously dangerous road. It was the equivalent to going into the inner city in a dangerous place late at night. So the people who heard this story understood it. The story was this guy was taking a journey that he had to take. He had to go from one place to another place. I don't know, maybe he had to drive this week... Uh, home for the holiday or to a place that you didn't want to go and there's that part that is I have to take a journey I don't really want to take a journey but I have to go to the place I have to go so I'm going to take the journey right and uh he gets taken over he gets taken by robbers okay it says that by chance this is the way Jesus tells the story by chance amazing news a person of faith a priest a person who has connection with God walked by right after the person was robbed this is supposed to be great news but the way that Jesus tells the story, what he did was he left him half dead. He just kind of went by on the other side of the road. Then a Levite, another guy of the, one of the guys from the band showed up, and he was walking down the street, and he saw the guy half dead, and it says again that he passed by on the other side. 
Jesus is pointing at a common fault of people who have faith is that a lot of people who have religious faith love to study the Bible, but they don't have a lot of mercy for each other. There's just a lot of that. Jesus is telling a story that seems obvious. There's a lot of people that have, like, I like the songs, I have the bumper stickers, I have, like, this real nice Bible that's got my, my name on the front, and, like, I've got all kinds of stuff underlined, and i got all kinds of notes falling out of it all kinds of places, and, and I come to church, and I come to the early service even when it snows. That the place often where faith falls apart is in between the stuff that I know and the way that it's, it's practiced, right? Often we start to ask questions to allow us to squirm on this question, who is my neighbor? Who is a person who deserves to be treated like I care about what happens to them and who is a person who doesn't? Here's one question. Uh, that we use to squirm. I wrote a couple down, but this one was helpful to me. I want to help, but are we sure this isn't a consequence? That's a question that someone asks to help them squirm into treating someone like they're not their neighbor. So the priest walked by, the Levite walked by, and as they walked by, they saw a person in need, a person who needed medical attention, a person who needed to be taken to a doctor, a person who certainly had some bills that probably needed to be paid because they were robbed in a non-banking system of likely everything they owned was on their person and now they don't have it. They saw a person in need, but something that was happening in their mind and their head allowed them to justify, I don't have to help that person. One question that we often ask is, I want to help, but are we sure this isn't a consequence? Meaning, if you can't pay to fix your car because you're wearing nice sneakers, maybe I shouldn't have to help you. If you are going through a divorce because you were unfaithful in your marriage, maybe I shouldn't have to help you. If the things that you've done got you to where you are, then maybe you're not my neighbor anymore. And now I can stand over here and watch justifying myself. A second question that we often ask. Uh, I want to help, but how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? That's a good question for a parent to ask. But that's another question that a person might ask as a way of saying, you're only worth helping if I know you're not going to need any help from here. I don't know if... uh, you've ever had uh, an addict in your life, but if you ha- once you have an addict in your life or get around an addict, you learn that helping them means often continuing to help them even after things go bad another time. And I've been around some people struggling with addiction, quite a few in my life. And when people stop helping them usually is when they figure out a way to justify it saying, I don't think I should have to help anymore. I think it's on them now. And I'm not saying sometimes tough love is the right way to help. But sometimes people ask themselves questions that allow them to feel good about not helping anymore. 
Here's a, a third version of that question. I want to help, but can you tell me what you learned to prevent this from happening again? It's another version of that question. This is a lot of time a church person question where like uh, people have to kind of like show you satisfactory self-flagellation. They have to beat themselves enough up so that you know that they know they messed up. Uh, I'd love to help you, but like, what do you think you contributed to your marriage falling apart? I, I'd like to help, but, but why do you think your business went bankrupt? I, I'd like to help, but, but, but how did you end up here? These are questions that we ask ourselves to squirm off of the scriptural mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves. I guess what I'm trying to say is you, you can't be a neighbor to people that you view as beneath you. You can't be a neighbor, well, to people that you view as beneath you. And this is often where people of faith lose the plot, is we struggle not to see, uh, we struggle not to start to develop uh, an, uh, an arrogance or an attitude based on the fact that we have the good news. Uh, awesome, I hope. A lot of people in the room today, um, I'm thankful today Jesus Christ saved me from my sins. And I know at the bottom of my heart and the bottom of my shoes and the top of my head that the day I no longer have breath in my lungs, I know by faith I'm going to meet Jesus Christ face to face because I have faith in him. I also know that that is not true for every person in this community. or in my, There's people in this room who I remember the day that they found that faith for themselves. But over time, it can be easy to start to think that because I have the good news, I know the good news of Jesus Christ, that makes me better than the people around me. It can start to develop an, an attitude that, frankly, is unbecoming of the truth of the good news. We, are, we aren't the good news ourselves. We have the good news, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So Jesus continues on with this story. Verse 33, Jesus says, but a, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. We don't have the ability in our, uh, we don't have the ability to translate what it meant to the original hearer to hear that the, what we now know is going to be the hero of the story is a Samaritan. A Samaritan was a half-breed, basically. It was a person who was half-Jewish and half-Samarian from the northern part of the area where they lived. It was a person who was seen as less because of where they came from, seen as less because of kind of what their background was, uh, partly in an ethnic dimension, partly in a religious dimension. Uh, the Samaritan is the person who's supposed to need help or the person who's supposed to be beyond help, not supposed to be the person who's giving the help. So the Samaritan shows up. This is the way Jesus tells the story. And as he journeyed, he came and when he saw the person in need, he had compassion. This word compassion that's used right here in Luke chapter 10 is the same word that is used of what the father had for his son coming home and the prodigal son, what Jesus had for a woman whose husband had just died. It is a deep care and empathy for the place that a person has found themselves. It is the ability to look at a person's situation and say, 
this could have been me. It's to look at the pain that a person is in and be able to say, wow, that, what if that was me? What if, what if that was me? And so it says that he went to him, verse 34, he, he first he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's like two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. So this guy finds a need right in front of him. Now, let's just pause. This is Jesus chose every word in detail in this story for us to learn. So the Samaritan had no obligation to help uh, this guy who is laying, taken over by robbers. In fact, the, the guy probably wouldn't have even wanted to maybe even be associated with the Samaritan, probably. But it says that when he saw, he tried to fix what was broken. He inconvenienced himself by saying, I'll let this guy ride the donkey. He took him to a place where he could be helped, and he personally gave of his own resources to help make it happen and promised whatever the guy needs, I'll repay when I come back. I mean, like, I don't know about you, my insurance company won't even say whatever they need, we'll repay it when they're done. This is radical compassion. What is the point that Jesus is making? Jesus is making this point. Neighbors are people who are near. Their proximity gives us insight into their needs. When the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, it's teaching you whatever comes in front of your eyes that you have the ability to do something about, you should do it. That's what the Bible's teaching. It doesn't mean like, my neighbor is my family and I take care of my family, I'm kind of whatever about everybody else. It doesn't mean like, it's the people at church, they're like the good ones that are just like me. It means whatever I can see where there's need, I have the ability and an obligation to help. This idea is all the way through the Bible. Back in Leviticus chapter 19, this is in the law. I think we have this for the screen. Um, I thought it was on the last slide. This is what was originally told to the people of Israel, that when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So this is like all the way back at the beginning, and now to Jesus. This is this idea. Vulnerable people should be taken care of. Now, here's where this starts to get tricky and complicated for those of us in the 2020s. Uh, should we? Let's do it. Does this mean that, like, does that verse mean that the Government should let anyone who wants to come to America come to America? I don't think it means that. It doesn't really have anything to do with that. We tend to view the world in the way that the news is given to us in this really macro way. And that's not really what the Bible's speaking to here. What the Bible is saying is if someone ends up on your street, if someone ends up in your kid's class at school, right now uh, there's these people that live across the street from Kristen and I who are here. He's here working. They're here from Japan and the four people, they like, have like maybe one and a half of them that speak English. 
What the Bible is trying to say is, if someone shows up on your street or in your life right in front of you who is in need of help or who isn't familiar with the way things work here or doesn't really know how things are, treat them like you would want to be treated if the situation was reversed. It doesn't really have to have anything to do with these big political things that we often use to justify treating people as our non-neighbor. The big stuff gets in the way. So like, uh, let's take a different version of this story. A lot of people in the last couple of months have a lot of energy or have spent a lot of time thinking about what's happening in the Middle East, right? Palestine and Israel. And Christians, especially Bible-believing Christians, tend to have an affinity towards Israel because Israel's in the Bible. Some people believe that in the end times, there's like this part of the end times that requires there being a country of Israel. And so people have a, Christian people kind of have a tendency to say like one bad, one good. And that's the, the way they tend to think about it. And that's not really what I'm here to talk about today. We could have a long, fun conversation about all that if you want at a different time. But where we get it wrong is if our way of thinking about a political conflict allows us to not have compassion for any person who God loves who is being put into suffering. Every person who God loves, we should care about what happens. So most of us, we can't do like literally anything about what's happening over there, right? Like Jack, you and me, if we like strapped up and got on a plane and went over there to try to fix things, we'd make a couple fun TikToks and we'd be dead. There's nothing we could really do to fix the problem. Here's what we can do. We can try to be a neighbor who, to every person who's around us. So there's people in our community who have family in Israel. There's people who have, in our community, who have family who is Palestinian. And it matters to God that all of those people know that we consider them our neighbor because they have a beating heart and they matter to God. That's what, he says, take care of him and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then the story finishes, and I'm gonna, I have a list of things to try to help us practically in just a second. But in verse 36, Jesus answers by saying, okay, which of these three people do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? It's like, <laughs> I didn't do amazing in school all the time. This is an easy one. He's like, okay, so the priest who walked by, the Levite who walked by, the Samaritan who stopped and helped him. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? <laughs> I like the idea of the guy who stood there at the beginning asking. Now he said to hear this whole story, and he's kind of like, oh, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So we can help. Uh, we can be neighbors. That's what God's asking us to do in a lot of different ways. So one of the ways that we can be neighbors is first like physical presence is a way to be a neighbor. A lot of what people need uh, is time and interaction. Uh, so like these people that live across the street from Kristen and I, the first thing I like, we, I just started inviting them to stuff. They came and watched one of our football games and we're like starting to build a relationship with them. Kristen, I don't know, made them cookies or something like that, which they were super confused by, but then they brought us like some crazy desserts that I'd never had before from where they were from. And this is how hospitality is how relationship is built. This is the point. I'm not trying to make myself a good part of the story. Uh, physical presence is, there's just a way that when you, if you know somebody who's going through a hard time, 
putting yourself where they are or putting yourself on the phone with them communicates, one. Two, we help with like problem solving. This is a way that we can help. This is what we see in the story of the Good Samaritan. With expertise or resources, uh, that's one of the ways that we're a neighbor. So you might be a person who knows how to fix cars and you might have someone in your life who is really in need, who has a broken car and you could fix it. That's not me, so please don't call. I don't know how to do that. Uh, we also help through comfort for hurting people. Some of us can help through physical labor. We might have a network or relational resources where we can help someone find a job or another situation. And we might have the ability to be generous to them financially. I built a list because there's this tendency in our culture because we're money obsessed to think that every problem is a money problem that needs to be solved by money. We have a lot of ways that we can be neighbors to the people around us who need it. We have a lot of ways that we can do that. So here's what I wanted to bring this to, and then I'm going to go right back to where I started. These are three personal implications from the story of the Good Samaritan for you and me sitting here on the first day of snow in 2023. One, if God brings something in front of my eyes and I can help, I help. If I can help, I help. Proverbs 3.27 is the verse that helps me with that. So if I have the ability to do something about it, I do something about it. If someone I care about is in the hospital, I find an hour and I go visit them. If I hear about someone, uh, there's a new kid at the school that my kids are going to who doesn't speak English, which is happening all over the place right now, I figure out a way to find the person. And if I can figure out a way to help them in some way, if I can do something about it, I do. What that requires, and we've talked about this a lot before, is a willingness to be honest with myself about how many things there are in the world that I can't do anything about. I'll just throw out there, we're like a year away from a presidential election, that if every one of us all tries our best to make it go one way or another, we will have no impact one way or another whatsoever on what happens. Can we agree that the, all of us in this room wouldn't have even enough that one time that George Bush like barely won, we couldn't have even done. What if we took all the energy emotionally and otherwise, in fixating for a year on which person who's older than all of us we're all going to be annoyed about as the president? What if we took all that energy into helping the people around us who really need it? Number two, if I can help without hurting me, I help. This is an important verse. Galatians chapter 6 uh, talks about uh, that if any one of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with the spirit of gentleness. But then it says... Take watch, lest you too be tempted. So let's just say that you have uh, alcoholism in your background. You're probably not the person to go fish someone that you care about out of the bars. You have to be careful in the way that you help that you don't create sin or temptation for yourself. And then three, if I can't help myself, I find or help fund Someone who can. If God puts something significant in my mind or my heart, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes there's like a story in the news or, or something that I see or something that happens in the local community and I just keep thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. There's always a place where I can donate some money or go volunteer to help get involved. So why did we talk about all of this uh, today? We talked about all of this today because notice that Jesus isn't the good Samaritan. 
He's trying to teach us how to be. And the reason why we're talking about all of this today was all under the banner of how should I be thankful. And what I started with is the reason why so many people are so unhappy is they are still thinking and operating like if I just climb one more lung, uh, lung, rung on the corporate ladder, if I, if I just add one more zero to that retirement account, if I could just get into that house or that car or get my kid into that college or achieve this one thing, so many people are still living in the place thinking that if I could just get one more thing, then I will finally be happy. And I came today to try with everything I can find from God's word and my life experience and everything that I've been through in life to tell you this. It isn't true. You will not be. What is true is that generous people are thankful people and thankful people are happy people. Jesus' whole point, Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give you life abundantly. Jesus Christ came to earth to bring glory to himself by saving sinners like us. And he gave us the tools that we need to live life right now. And what I, I'm trying to, just with everything I have, convey to you is there is people all around us who have need. All around us. If you open your eyes and say, God, can you show me where there's need? There are people all around us. So one of the things as a church we're always trying to do is give opportunities for you to get involved. But our goal as the church isn't to like figure everything out. There's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that you interact with or come across that we can't meet, but you can. And I'm not trying today to heap um, so many people go through life with this endless checklist of things that they're trying to get done and the idea of adding one more when they already feel like they're not doing very well at the things they have makes them just want to quit and say I can't do it. It's not the point. The point isn't like uh, you're not doing enough. What the story that Jesus tells shows me, I guess the most important part is that the good Samaritan was just walking along and this need presented itself right in front of him. That's like the key part of the story, is that God brought the opportunity that he wanted the person to get involved in right to the person. So person one, walked by, didn't care. Person two, walked by, didn't care. The guy who the whole story was created for was trying to figure out a way to say like, so who can, who's my neighbor and who isn't my neighbor? Who are the people that I have to care about and the people I don't have to care about? Who are the people that I can not care if they're suffering and who are the people that I have to care if they're suffering? And Jesus blows the question up by saying, if it's in front of you, you see it and you can do something about it, you should do something about it. And I believe by faith that if you take that into this season of giving and thankfulness and holiday this and that, I believe by faith you are going to have more joy than you've ever had before when you release the focus on yourself. That's what I came to say today. That's how we should be thankful. Let's pray together for just a minute. Lord, I, uh, Lord, we, we want to do our best to honor you and glorify you and pray.
crazy and live right. And the world gives so many confusing messages and there's so many things vying for our attention and there's so many things going on all around. And so I'm just asking, Lord, in Jesus' name, would you give us wisdom and insight? Would you place opportunities in front of us to treat those around us like our neighbor? Would you turn off from us the sense that there are people that we don't owe anything to or people that we're better than? Lord, would you release us from our our pride and sense that we know better in so many situations? Lord, I'm asking in Jesus' name, would you please help us? Uh, and it's in his name that I pray. If you agree, please say amen. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.